And yes, we want to finish well, but we want to start the year well as we move in to 2020. I'd like you to turn, uh, please, in your Bibles to the only Italian prophet in the Bible, Malachi, <laughs> one of my ancestors. <laughs> Malachi, Malachi, for those of you who haven't got a sense of humor. <laughs> Chapter four. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to read from verses 1 to 6. I'm starting a new series today, and I tend to sort of start it on the last day of the year because, I'm, I'm, you know, it gets to this time of the year. I just want to start the next year. I don't know about you. Anybody, is anyone alive here today or have we all eaten too much turkey? Okay. I, you know, I get to Christmas and then Christmas happens and then, you know, then we get past Christmas and it's like, let's just get on with it. Let's just get on with the next decade. Let's just get, Christmas has come and gone. Lovely time, wonderful. We all wore silly hats and, and sang carols and whatever else and we loved it and it was great and it was friends and family and uh, an oversized what, what, uh, uh, dressing gown. <laughs> A horizontal few days. I watched... <laughs> Michael McIntyre the other day and he was talking about the six days in between Christmas and the New Year's. Anybody seen that? Oh, I said, oh, I'll pretend it's my own then. I, I was thinking this the other day and it's about the six days in between Christmas and the New Year and we all just completely lose track of everything. I don't know what day it is. I don't, are the shops open today? I don't know. Uh, do the bins come today or when do the bins come? I don't know when the bins come. It's just hilarious. It's about this, this sort of void period between Christmas and the New Year. Hilarious. But that's why I get into this six days and I just think, come on, let's just get on. Look at someone, give them a jab in the ribs and say, let's just get on with it. Let's just get on with it. Let's just get on with the next decade. Anybody excited about the next decade? I am so excited about the next decade. It's going to be awesome. Malachi chapter 4 verse 1. For behold, the day is coming. Holy Spirit, we just pray today that you will speak to us, that you will speak right into the heart of Citygate Church. Father God, we open our hearts. Lord, we humble ourselves under your mighty hand. We thank you that you reveal the Word of God and you reveal Christ in us and through us. So Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to you again. We thank you for your anointing upon our lives. We thank you for your uh, presence in this church and across our nation. Father, we thank you, Lord, that all things are possible for you and all things are possible for us who believe. Father, we place ourselves in agreement with your word and with that which you want to do in us and through us. And we thank you, God, that today everything will work together for our good. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. It says, For behold, the day is coming and it is burning like an oven. I believe in the fire of God. Not just as a preaching point, I believe in the fire of God. God is a fire from the waist up and a fire from the waist down, the Bible says. It says that in the Old Testament, they came to a physical place to encounter God, but we come to Almighty God who is a consuming fire. And the fire of God is, is an incredible thing. When the church began, it began on fire. It began with a baptism, began with a baptism of fire. At the time when Christ was announced, he said, here comes one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The fire of God is something that I believe God wants evident in our lives and evident in our church, the fire of God. The Bible says that our God is an all-consuming fire. The Bible says the eyes of Jesus Christ are like a flame of fire. Something about the fire of God. When the fire of God impacts your life, you are never the same again. Isaiah said, I want to be a history maker, send me, I'll go. 
But the one thing that had to happen to Isaiah before he could impact the world is probably the greatest prophet of, of, of the Messiah in the Old Testament was that he had to be touched by the fire of God. I believe we are touched by the fire of God as a church. I've been touched by the fire of God a number of times. On the night I became a Christian, I believe the fire of God touched my life. I believe a month later when I was baptised with the Holy Spirit, the fire of God touched my life. The time a couple of months after that when I was delivered of various things in, in little AOG church we were part of. And the fire of God hit me and I was on the floor for probably two and a half hours as the fire of God touched my life. I believe the fire of God hit my life and impacted my life at Kingdom Faith back in 1998 when I was in a conference and it was a Thursday night and the fire of God touched my life. It's great to look back and I can think of other times as well when, when you can say the fire of God touched my life then and the fire of God touched my life then and the fire of God and, it, and each time perhaps that fire destroys something that needed to be destroyed. Something, you know, perhaps, perhaps it sort of refined something and produced some pure gold. Perhaps it brought you know deliverance and the enemy fled before the fire of God whatever the fire does but I believe God's fire needs to be more than just an event on a day it needs to be a lifestyle something burning in our bones something alive on the inside of us that when we get up in the morning and I'm preaching to myself here as well that we're on fire for God when we get up we're on fire for God when we go to work there's something burning on the inside of us when we come to church we're not offering that which is just common. We're offering something which is uncommon, something that is extraordinary, that the fire of God explodes in our midst, that the fire of God comes out of our mouth, that the fire of God comes out of our belly. Church on fire. Generation on fire. A nation on fire for God. As we move into 2020 and beyond, let it be a decade of the fire of God burning in us and through us in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen? He says, and the fire of God is burning and all the proud, yes, all who do evil will, will just be stubble. A day is coming which will burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. It won't leave either root, the root or the branch, but to you, who fear my name. Come on, that's us, amen? For you, come on, that's us, yeah? For you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings, amen? And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. That's a positive thing, just saying. Not often I wanna say go and get fat, but, um, but, but scripturally, that's a good thing today. Like stall-fed calves and you shall trample the wicked. <laughs> for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Then it says, remember the law of Moses, um, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he will turn the hearts of the fathers towards the children and he will turn the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's how the Old Testament ends. That's the last passage in the Old Testament before Jesus arrives on the scene. It's as if it's the final word. That's it. That's it. Done and dusted. Now let's start again. And the Son of God turns up on the scene and everything is turned around. I think it's interesting that the closing of the Old Testament, and you've got to understand the significance of that. It's the final word. Everything from then on keeps saying to be, um, he did this to fulfill that which was spoken. He, he did this to fulfill. It's as if it was the end of an era, close of a generation. It was a new day, it was a new start. 
And I don't think it's any coincidence that when God speaks, He says, I'm going to send Elijah and I'm going to turn the situation around. I'm going to turn it around. And what He was going to turn around, number one was the heart of the fathers to the children and as a result, the hearts of the children to the fathers. See, God wants to turn the world around. Of course, he did that in sending his son, Jesus Christ. But he wants that to be our reality in our generation, in our nation, in our world, in our city. He wants to turn people back into a relationship with God. That's what this is all about. There isn't anything that's more important to God than the turning of hearts towards God. Nothing more important. See, the greatest answers there are are found in a relationship with God. There are no great answers outside of a relationship with God. Everything's found in our relationship with God. And to do what God wants to be done, and he's, he's speaking here. I'm not going to get into the whole, you know, something really deep here this morning. But, but if you read the book of um, the, the excerpt here that you find in chapter 4. But if you go into chapter 3, it's very clearly talking about the second coming of Jesus. Some people say it's the first coming of Jesus. It cannot be the first coming of Jesus because of a number of things that happen through chapter three and uh, chapter four. It says he comes as a refiner's fire. He comes and it's the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And it's all those sorts of things that are said. That's not the first coming of Jesus. That's the second coming of Jesus when the trumpet sounds and the angel shouts and the Lord comes, you know, faster than the lightning from the east to the west. And it's the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to get into all end time stuff and sort of all that sort of deep prophetic stuff here on a Sunday morning. That's not for a Sunday morning. But what I do want to say is God is up to something in our world today because we are expecting the second coming of Jesus Christ. And for that to happen, he says, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Today I want to start a series on Elijah. One of the most incredible people you find in the Bible. He had the most amazing anointing upon his life. He had the most amazing encounters with God and a very powerful intimacy with God. He was empowered by God to turn round, I don't believe just a generation but he turned round a nation from that point on. Things went wrong again, I understand that, but he becomes like a plumb line in the Bible. Even when the Lord himself comes and he's up there on the mountain and the Bible says he is, says the glory of God hits the Lord Jesus Christ on the mountaintop. He says his face is changed. He has this incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit and the Father on the mountaintop. And he says Elijah turns up. And he talks with him about the cross and the resurrection and about the things that are going to happen. I mean, this guy's pretty significant. And it says, how I'm going to do this is I'm going to send you Elijah. Now, he doesn't mean he's going to send the person back from the dead. Elijah, Elijah was a thousand years BC. He's not saying Elijah physically is coming back. But he's saying there's going to be a people who carry the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, we know from Scripture that that has to refer to John the Baptist. Again, I don't want to get all deep this morning, but the Bible is very, very clear that it was that as um, John the Baptist came, it says that he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. But we also know that it's not only John the Baptist that this is referring to. 
Absolutely, it is John the Baptist because that's fulfilled in Scripture. You can read that from Luke chapter 1 and also from um, um, Matthew chapter 11 where it says that John the Baptist came like Elijah came. But then if you understand the Scriptures that we've just read, it's before the second coming of Jesus. So there has to be a generation that has that same spirit and power of Elijah upon our lives before the Lord comes back. And as we start to think about some of these things, I believe God wants to do something over the next year in the life of Citygate Church and on from this, which is, I believe, going to be amazing to us. And I'm hungry for it. I don't know about you, but I'm really hungry for whatever God wants to pour out upon our lives. Amen. The name Elijah means Jehovah is God. Yahweh is God. It also means my God is Jehovah. It's very personal to Elijah. And we'll find out perhaps the significance of that over the next few weeks as we go through the life of Elijah. (coughs) Excuse me. And the most amazing things that, that he encountered with God. It wasn't just that, yes, he is God. He's my God, he's Elijah. Sorry, my God is Jehovah. My God is Yahweh. And he lived at a time when a generation had turned away from God. It had really bad leadership. Ahab, the king of Israel, was just a bad dude. <laughs> he was just bad news and his wife was even worse. She was really bad news. We're going to find out some of these things. As we start today, I've called today's sermon, Elijah, more than a prophet. It's very easy to just think that, you know, he just said some prophetic things. But he was far more than a prophet. He carried something for a generation. He carried something for a nation. He carried something for God that God was then able to move in into a generation and really deal with some stuff. And I believe God wants to be upon us in the same way. Anybody here today? I believe God wants to be upon our lives in the same way. That God wants us to carry the spirit and the power of Elijah in a profound and history-making way. He wants to release upon us an amazing anointing. He wants to release upon us something in our words and in our actions and in our faith and in our expectation and in that which we carry that, that our world is impacted in the same way that his world was impacted. Wow. So we're just gonna go through a few things today as we lay the foundation for this series. The first thing we need to understand about Elijah is this that Elijah is a prophet who heard from God and he walked in obedience. Just some general things from his life today. He was a prophet. He heard from God, he spoke on behalf of God and he walked in obedience with God. Now, the first time we read about Elijah is 1 Kings chapter 17. And he was already a fully functioning prophet. He was already fully on fire and under the power of God. And yet there isn't anything that we know about him from before that. He was just Elijah the Tishbite. That's all you know. You don't find out about, fancy being a Tishbite. (laughs) Tishbite. You don't know anything else about him. He lived in the desert. There's no explanation about his life. There's no, he was born of this and did this and grew up there and did this and then he went there and then he did this and then this encounter with God and then he did this and then he did. No, the first thing you know about him is he just walks straight up to Ahab and he just declares this word and it, and it absolutely turned the world upside down. That's the first thing you know. You know what? There are some people who are out there in obscurity. You've never heard of them. You've never seen them. Perhaps you think your life has just been a life of obscurity, but you know what? That can turn around in a moment. But never underestimate what happens in obscurity. See, everybody wants the limelight. I'm not talking about the stage, but everybody wants to be noticed. We have a generation. Look at me, 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 me. (laughs) 
Hey, here I am. Another selfie. Selfie in the morning. Selfie doing my teeth. Selfie doing my hair. That doesn't take long. Selfie, <laughs> selfie having breakfast. Selfie on the train. Selfie going to work. Selfie at lunch. Selfie, selfie at my desk. Selfie everywhere. It's about me, 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 me. Look at me. But those who are used by God are not me people. Hello? They're not me people. And here's Elijah, the most incredible prophet, a rough man, quite a gruff man, quite a a determined guy, calling down fire and, you know, just doing the most amazing things as we go through his life. We're going to be so inspired by what he does and what we're able to do. Wow. And yet years in obscurity. I think about the same thing with John the Baptist. He's, He's announced... His birth is announced, then you don't read anything else other than he wore camel hair or whatever hair and ate locusts. But he's out there in the desert. He's out there with God. It's actually the same with Jesus Christ. You hear about him when he's born. You hear about him when he's about 11 or 12 years old. Then you don't hear of him again till he's 30, you know, 30 years old. 18 years, you hear nothing about his life. Why? Because there is a power in that obscure place. There's a power in that place where nobody knows what's going on. Where nobody knows what you're doing or where you get, or there's no selfies flying around. <laughs> You see, there seems to be something in the world today that it's almost, wow, you know, something happens and bang, next day you're there, you're in the limelight. We, we live in such a celebrity culture and it kills more people than it ever sets free. Why? Because they don't know what it is to be obscure. Are you with me today? Man, I know we're going headfirst into this thing. But there is a power in the quiet place. Do not despise the time when it doesn't look like anything's happening. I know we've been singing, even when I don't see it, you're moving. When I don't feel it, you're moving. And we love that, that, you know, but we're active. But what about in our own lives? Don't despise the day. You see, people want to be something immediately. People want to achieve, you know, no, everything in life is step by step. Now, there's time for a leap of faith, but generally in life, it's a walk of faith. It's step by step. Everybody wants to achieve instantly. And yet for Elijah, the power of his life was the consistency of his life. He was consistent day in and day out. Things don't change overnight. They start overnight. But there's an incredible power in the years of preparation. He was selfless. He was hungry for God. He was absolutely passionate for God's kingdom. At that time, God's kingdom was a physical nation. That's really what, you know, they understood. And he saw the nation and he saw the state of the nation. And a number of people were like this in the Old Testament. They were reformers. They were people who saw the situation and said, you know what, something's got to give. Something's got to change. We've got to turn this thing around. And I believe there's something in the very heart, in the very DNA of Citygate Church that God wants us to be a nation-changing church. He wants us to be a church that is so on fire for God that we say, Something's got to turn around. Something's got to change. This generation and knife crime has had enough. Racism, it's had enough. Family breakup, had enough. Come on, we got to see something. Far stronger than what we just see with these eyes. We got to see something in the spirit. We got to see something prophetically. Elijah was a prophet. He heard from God. And he walked in the obedience of the words that he heard. I do believe that God is is doing incredible things in his church. Incredible things in his church around the world. 
Yeah, the church is under attack, but hey, you know what? (laughs) Just adds a bit of spice to life. Why? Because we're the victorious church. God always leads us in triumphal procession. You find in the book of Acts, you find people prophesied in the Old Testament a number of times about a people, it says, and the people of God will prophesy. They will speak the future. They will speak forth God's word and God's will. As we come out of 2019 and we come out into 2020, it's absolutely vitally important that we're prophesying into our future. Elijah was a prophet and we are a prophetic people. Can I hear an amen? Amen. What's the next thing that we know about Elijah? Elijah experienced God's miraculous provision. Wow. It was a mark upon his life. He was there and God provided for him. Then that dried up, so he went there and God provided for him. And then he went from there to there and God provided. But then he commanded somebody else to provide for Elijah. And then something else, God provided for Elijah. He was a man who knew God's provision. And as we come out into 2020, I wanna prophesy in Jesus' name that we are gonna know God's miraculous provision in a brand new way that we've never experienced before. Anybody want some of that? In Jesus' name, supernatural provision, supernatural abundance. The third thing we know about Elijah was this. Elijah was a prayer warrior. He was a prayer warrior. He knew how to pray. In fact, he's the example that they use in the New Testament about Old Testament people who pray. Elijah was a man like us and he prayed. The effective, fervent, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes power available. I don't know about you, but I'm up for some of that power in Jesus' name. And it happened through prayer. God's doing something in prayer in this church. I'm very, very aware of that over the last few months. But as we go off into 2020, it's important that we understand that we are people called to be prayer warriors in Jesus' name. Elijah declared several times about his life that he was Elijah who stood before God. That was like his sort of job description. I stand before God. Elijah, who are you? I'm Elijah and I stand before God. I'm Elijah, I stand before God. I love that expression, standing before God. To stand before God. Not I stood before God last week. No, I'm consistently standing before God. I know who I am. I'm Elijah and I stand before God. We're city gate and we stand before God in Jesus' name. We stand before God. Most incredible position to know you're standing in the presence of God in prayer. Elijah's prayers moved heaven and earth. Elijah's prayers started and stopped to drought. Elijah's prayers changed a nation. I believe in the power of prayer. Passionately believe in the power of prayer. As we agree together, God moves. As we pray together, God moves. As we prophesy, God moves. As we declare the name of Jesus, God moves. Can I hear an amen this morning? The fourth thing we know about Elijah was Elijah expected miracles. He expected miracles, isn't this awesome? Nothing was too hard for his God. He expected God to move. I think it's very sad when Christians live their life and don't expect God to move. Far more exciting to expect God to move, amen? He expected miracles. We're a church in Jesus. Therefore, we're a church with miracles. We're the body of Christ. Along with every denomination, every style, every tradition, whatever, everyone who names Jesus Christ as Lord, we're in there with the Baptists and the Catholics and the Anglicans and the Methodists and the free churches and the Pentecostals. We all make the body of Christ. But you know what? Be it done to you according to your faith. And we're a church that believes for miracles. We expect, we expect God to show himself strong. Elijah expected God to move even when it was impossible. And I want to encourage us today that even if it's impossible, it's not too hard for God. 
Even though it's impossible, it's not too hard for those who believe in Jesus' name. Elijah expected the miraculous signs and wonders. The next thing about Elijah, very quickly, is Elijah was courageous. Man, he had some guts. Wow. I know there's a time he ran away, and we'll find out about that. That's another point down on my list. But he was a man. He had some guts. Do you ever get around some people, and they're a little bit difficult to be around? Because they're just tough people. You know what? They're just a bit, a bit gritty. <laughs> I don't think Jesus was too easy to be around sometimes. On the day he made that whip and went in and turned the money changers tables over and smashed things up. That's the time to just leave them alone. Jesus, just do your stuff. We'll see you tomorrow. When you're back talking about being gentle, Jesus, meek and mild or whatever. I reckon the Apostle Paul was a bit tough to be around sometimes. You know, he was a bit of a hit heads with people. Called people, I said, no, we're not doing that. We're going there. Tried three times. And even when the Holy Spirit stopped him, he still tried to go. I mean, he had some grit on the inside. It's not just a personality thing. It's a spirit of courage, a spirit of boldness on the inside. You know, come on, let's get up and go again. Come on, devil, shoot your biggest shot. I think David was a bit like that. You know, Goliath comes and he's mouthing it off and he goes, yeah, I'll take your head off you. I'll take your head off your mum and your grandma and your kids too. He was that sort of a guy. He's like, come on, shoot your biggest shot. And he was a teenager. I don't know if you've got any teenagers like that. I think we might have one or two like that. And it's like, man alive and we're praying to calm them down and God's saying come on stir them up we need a generation with a bit of guts on the inside that are not just couch potatoes amen but but people that have something that rise up come on let's go for it come on let's believe God for miracles come on devil (laughs) any takers in the house today come on you're very quiet in this place today He had a spirit of courage upon him. In 1 Kings chapter 18, (laughs) and I'm doing a whole sermon on this in a few weeks' time. He says, tell Ahab, Elijah's here. (laughs) I just love that. And I reckon if we made that into a film, there'd be a dun-dun-dun in the soundtrack. Elijah's here. Make my day. I see him a bit Clint Eastwoody. I see him a bit like the Terminator. <laughs> Elijah knew who he was. What's the next thing we know about Elijah? Elijah confronted evil and compromise. Now, back then in the Old Testament, it was very much people. It was very much, you know, go for it. And it was very hands-on and demonstrative. And we're not people who want to go around confronting people. Our, our fight is not with flesh and blood, amen? We're not with people. But there's got to be something on the inside that says, you know what? We're going to confront the spirit of a generation. We're going to confront the spirit of the age. We're going to confront the mentality that says, ah, oh, just do what you feel. We're going to confront a mentality that says, family, no, we don't believe in family like that anymore. Let's reinvent family and make it look something completely different from what God designed it to be. Hello? We're going to be a church that confronts morality. Again, I'm not talking about putting placards out and and posts out on Twitter and Facebook and and Instagram and whatever else and and banners in the high street and, and standing outside clinics and saying we hate what's going on. We're not talking about that sort of confrontation, but we are talking about a confrontation that says there's something better and our God reigns and the kingdom of God is going to forcefully advance. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to raise up a generation that's unshakable. Something on the inside. Elijah was sent to turn a nation back to God. Israel was in an immoral and backslidden state. And you've got to understand, this was the people of God. They had accepted Baal as another God to worship. 
Not as a replacement. I mean, that would have been bad enough. But to add to him, let's worship Jehovah and Baal. Doesn't matter, does it? Doesn't matter that we're not wholehearted anymore or single-minded on the kingdom of God and the things of God. Let's just, let's throw anything in there and just add them all in, worship everything. I mean, how horrendous is that? That's a bit like Satan when he fell. He said, he didn't say, I'm gonna overthrow God or I'm gonna replace God. He said, I'm gonna be alongside God. I'll be like the most high, let's put them together. (laughs) And there's got to be something in our heart and in our spirit, in all compassion and in all joy, not getting intense and nasty about things, but saying, come on, the kingdom of God is that and the kingdom of darkness is that. And I know where I'm standing and I know where I'm living in Jesus' name. See, Ahab was, was a king. He had this wife, I've already said, and, and she worked drip feed by drip feed by drip feed in a generation to just gradually bring in more and more and more error, more and more about Baal coming in and the Asherah poles and and different things coming in. And she worked at it and she worked. It's a bit like you've heard that thing, how do you boil a frog or you kill it? You put a a frog in in the cold water. I don't know if this is true, but people say it's true and it's lovely for a Sunday morning. Put a a frog in cold water in a saucepan on the thing and then you just turn on on the flame and the water will get hotter and hotter and the frog won't jump out because it's little bit by little bit until you kill the frog. There you go. And there's something about the spirit of the age that just wants to little bit by little bit by little bit, come on, bring in more and more and more compromise. And we just don't see, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And in the end, we put something else up there with God. Wow. Little by little, she was removing God from the culture. And God said to Elijah, he basically said, enough's enough. Come on, rise up. It's time for a national turnaround in Jesus' name. What's the next one? Number seven. Elijah had to deal with personal fear and discouragement. He was out there, he was prophesying, he was doing the stuff and he was under attack. (laughs) different things going on. There was obviously Jezebel absolutely hated Elijah. Can you see he's far more than a prophet? He had to deal with all of this stuff. She wanted him dead. Elijah experienced all the emotions, all the feelings of being alone, being hunted, being rejected. But the great thing about Elijah, another great thing about Elijah is fear didn't hold him down. The fear came and he went into the presence of God and he was strengthened by God and he ran again. Just as Jesus defeated fear, so I believe the church needs to defeat fear. As in our generation, there's so much around of of this fear and that fear and this obsession and that obsession and, and, and just so many things. And the Bible is really clear. Fear cannot succeed as our enemy and we need to defeat it in the lives of the people that we encounter around us. I love the fact it says in the Bible so many times, do not fear, do not fear. And I think us, you know, something that has to come out from the church in our generation has to be the message, has to be like a trumpet blast. There's a better way to live than in fear and stress and rejection and oppression. There is freedom for people in Jesus' name. The next thing that Elijah is as the band comes up, Elijah was a man who passed on his mantle and raised other people up. He passed on his mantle and he raised other people up. It's something that we talk a lot about in Citygate. We talk a lot about we're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. That which we have from God, God wants us to impart into other people's lives. And the greatest way to live is as someone who sows that which we've reaped. Harvest is great. We love, anybody love harvest in the place? We love harvest. But you know what? We're supposed to be sowing back into the next generation. 
I love to think, and I'm talking more and more and more about it, about what we're handing on. Not because I'm planning to retire anytime soon, but it's like this, this just obsesses me now. What are we handing on to the next generation? What are we handing on to our young people? What are we handing on? I know what the world's trying to give them. What are we giving them? And I love what Elijah did. He knew, he knew there was another generation rising up after him. And a great part of what God spoke to Elijah is you're going to anoint him as king, you're going to anoint him as king, and you're going to anoint him as prophet in your place. And that didn't upset Elijah, that stirred him up. Well, I'm going to hand on something greater than that which I have. You know, Jesus said this, He said, He said, when the church starts, they're going to do greater works greater works Elisha who was anointed by Elijah did twice as much as that which Elijah did did all the same uh, signs and wonders all the same things but he had a double anointing upon his life see God wants to do the double He wants to increase that which we have, but increase that which we pass on to other people. Just like John the Baptist announced the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what Christ said? He said this, He said, amongst those born on this planet, there's been no one greater than John the Baptist. What an incredible testimony about a prophet. John the Baptist, the prophet. He said, far greater than Elijah, far greater than Isaiah. No one's been as great as John the Baptist. But you know what John the Baptist said? There's one who's coming who's greater than I. See, there's something in God where He wants things to grow and get better and be more anointed and more empowered and more full of faith and more full of joy and more miracles and more signs and more wonders. There's something in God that says, come on, the end is gonna be better than the beginning. That as the years go on, it's a spirit of increase, not a spirit of reduction. That as we go on in God, we go from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from strength to strength, from one place of victory to the next place of victory, from one place of signs and wonders to another place where we've never even dreamed of being. As we leave this decade, I feel an incredible weight, a burden really upon my life to say God wants to show Himself strong in ways we've never even dreamed. And I've dreamed some pretty big stuff. (laughs) He wants to show Himself strong. But He wants us to be a church that knows how to impact a generation. The last thing today (coughs) is Elijah walked by faith. He was a faith man. We know he pleased God. There's only three people in the Bible that were ascended to heaven. One was Enoch. He walked with God and then was not. Then of course there was the Lord Jesus Christ. I know he died first, then he was raised from the dead, then he ascended to heaven. And the other one was Elijah. He went off in a whirlwind. The chariots, the fire of God came and took him off. I mean, we know he pleased God. We know he was the most incredible, incredible prophet. He had to be a man of faith. Faith is something that I believe is more than just a doctrine or a, 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 I'm just gonna believe God, it's a lifestyle. How we walk with God, Elijah knew, he knew that when the time had come, he heard far more than just what he heard with these ears. He saw more than what he saw with these eyes. He wasn't led by what he felt and what he experienced. He was moved by the Word of God and by his relationship with God. 
He heard far more than the nation's groanings and complainings and moanings. He heard something in the Spirit. He heard far more than just the bad reports. He heard the prophetic Word of God. And we have a generation that seems to be prophesying doom and gloom all the time. How bad everything is. How terrible everything is. Come on, we gotta be people of a different spirit. We gotta be people of faith who are prophesying hope and prophesying a vision and prophesying the plan of God and the future of God and not just speaking it, but absolutely standing it in a spirit of faith that the best is yet to come. He could hear something that couldn't be heard with these natural ears. He could hear something. And I've got a word for our next year that has been sitting in my spirit now for some time and took a long time actually to articulate it. But the word I've got for, really I think it's the next decade is this, that I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I hear the sound. I hear the sound. And it's going to take faith to hear it. Because you're not going to hear it with these ears. At the moment. And you're not going to see it with these eyes. At the moment. You're not going to see it in the newspapers or on the TV. It isn't going to be in reports that you read. But it's something that I believe God is declaring. And God is releasing in the Spirit. It's a sound of victory. I hear the sound of victory. It's a sound of provision. It's the sound of the abundance of rain. And of course, we're gonna be turning in this series to that incredible time when He sent His servant seven times. And He kept saying, go again, go again, go. Most people would have given up and said, oh, nothing's happened. But He said, go again, go again. Go again, go again, go again, go again, go again, go again. Because I can hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I can hear the sound of reformation. When others couldn't hear it, He heard it. When others couldn't see it, He saw it. When others didn't believe it, He believed it. And we have His Spirit. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Because I can hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I can hear the sound of miracles. I can hear the sound of healing. I can hear the sound of victory. I can hear the sound of enemies uh, fleeing in stark terror. I can hear the sound of families reuniting. I can hear the sound of racism falling. I can hear the sound of barriers breaking down. I can hear the sound of prison doors opening. I can hear the sound of the fire of God falling. I can hear the sound of multitudes turning to Jesus Christ. I can hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind of the Holy Spirit. I can hear the sound of a new anointing upon City 8 Church. I can hear the sound of wealth and abundance pouring in to the Church of Jesus Christ. I can hear the sound of a godly and pure sexual revolution. I can hear the sound of the favour of God on every front. I can hear the sound of chains breaking. I can hear the sound of revival breaking out in London. I can hear the sound of a nation turning back to God. I can hear the sound of the abundance of rain in our generation. If you believe it, let's give a shout of praise in this place. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Come on, let's lift our hands in this house today, shall we?
Father, anoint our ears. Anoint our eyes. Anoint our lips. Father God, I pray over Lord Citygate and all that we are and all that we do, that the spirit and power of Elijah, Lord God, would impact this church at this time. Father God, as we stand here and look back over the last 10 years, the last 15, 20, 22 years, Lord of the life of Citygate Church, You have shown Yourself strong in the most amazing ways. We are so grateful to You, Heavenly Father. Spirit of God, we honour You and we thank You for Your incredible anointing upon our lives. And Father, as we look forward, Lord, we look forward to the greater. Lord, we are hungry for the double. Lord, like Elisha said, give me a double portion. Father God, we are hungry for everything that You have for us. And Father, we wanna be those people of faith, those people of understanding, those people who see what can't be seen, who hear what can't be heard. Lord, to lay hold of Your will for our lives and to usher in, Lord, an outpouring of Your fire and of Your Spirit into a generation like we've never seen before. Father, we're hungry. Lord, we're excited about the, Lord, the return of Jesus and everything that You're doing. Lord, whether that's in this generation or ones to come, Father God, we live like it's today. Father God, we receive a fresh anointing into this house. Lord, we agree it today. As Your people, we agree it today. For I hear the sound in Jesus' Name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, let's give a shout of praise.